More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Well, it is time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, the host for this podcast, and I'm glad to be with you for another episode today. Well, last week and the week before were so much fun getting to chat with Jimmy Hinton. He is just a wealth of knowledge. So if you missed the last two episodes of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those because, man, Jimmy is awesome, and uh, we love him here at Survivor Sanctuary, and it was great to get a chance to talk to him finally here on the podcast. I've been planning that for a while. Well, if you're not a part of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, I tell you every week that you should definitely join us there. Just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook, request to join, answer that membership question. It's going to give you a multiple choice question. It's very easy to answer and I'll add you to the group and you can join our conversations there. I also want to let you know that you can support the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. Just visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and right in about the center of the page, you'll see a button that says support. You can click on that and become a monthly supporter. It starts at 99 cents. It goes up to about $9.99 a month. And your support for this podcast will help me to keep bringing you episodes and help pay for some of the fees involved in producing the podcast each and every week. Just a few days ago, I got the sweetest message from someone who just found the podcast. Her name is Sarah, and it had me in tears. My goodness, I spent a little time crying after reading her message, thanking me for the podcast, and she became a supporter this past week of Survivor Sanctuary. So a big thank you to Sarah, and if you want to do the same, again, it's anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. Just click on support. Well, you may have noticed by the title of this episode of Survivor Sanctuary, what a fat fish can teach the church about how to deal with predators. Uh, This is going to be an interesting episode. But in fact, I was reading a couple of articles this week, and the contrast between these two articles basically gave me the idea for this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. One of these articles triggered me very, very much. And the other article actually made me laugh quite a bit and might make you laugh as well. The first article, though, I will tell you, can be triggering. It definitely was for me. By the end of reading it, like my face was red, my blood pressure was up, I was feeling all kinds of anxiety, not super happy about it. And so just giving you a warning that if you have experienced sexual abuse and you've also experienced the church supporting offenders over supporting you, this might be triggering for you as well. So just giving you that little trigger warning in case you need it. Well, I was doing some research on sexual abuse in the church and I came across an article from about three years ago ago exactly called Church of the Second Chance. And I immediately was like, oh no, what are you going to be talking about? How everybody deserves a second chance and even people who have molested children, uh, we shouldn't be hard on them, but Jesus forgives them and so should we. And, you know, I try to keep an open mind as I read 
And the person who wrote it was actually a survivor of sexual abuse. So I thought, you know, maybe it's not going to be what I think. But by the time I got to the end of this article, I basically wanted to barf. Now, I want to just put this in here really quickly. I'm a person who tends to have probably more empathy and more compassion than I should for people who do terrible things. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'm this bleeding heart and I'm so just fair and compassionate and gracious to everyone. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that my default is feeling sorry for people who do things wrong. So please hear me. I am not saying that I don't think that people who do things wrong should be forgiven or that Jesus can't forgive them or he can't heal them or they can't move on. I'm not saying that at all because honestly, I feel sorry for people a lot of the time who do terrible things. And I'm telling on myself, um, I, I know that some people might think, well, that's weak of you as a person, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't feel sorry for people who do terrible things. But I tell on myself here on the podcast because I want to keep it real. I tell on myself here on the podcast because I don't want to have this false persona of I've got everything together and I think and feel the exact right way about every single issue. I'm just letting you know who I am as a person. And that is a person who tends to have compassion for the down and out person, the underdog. And yes, even I'll watch a news story about someone who just destroyed their lives because they murdered somebody and I feel sorry for them. And yes, they did a terrible thing. And yes, I feel sorry for the victim and their family. But as I'm looking at a person who has made a terrible choice and ruined their lives, I do tend to feel like like my heart breaks for them. And that's actually one of the reasons that it took me so long to come forward about having been sexually abused because I felt sorry for the man who abused me because in my mind, oh, this poor guy, you know, he just he made a mistake and I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure he feels so disgusting about what he did to me. Like I would just think, and I would feel sick to my stomach, like, oh my gosh, he probably hates himself so much that he did that to me. And then I find out years later that no, he actually molested multiple little girls that he's admitted to. And he's still around children all the time. Obviously he's not living this life of deep regret and shame over what he did to you when you were six years old. But the point is that I tend to default to that. Like feeling sorry for the person. And I'm not a person that should ever counsel someone who has molested children. I mean, for obvious reasons, but even if I hadn't been a victim of abuse, I would probably not be able to decipher people telling the truth. And I would, I would feel compassion when I probably shouldn't. If somebody cried and was like, I'm so broken and I feel so terrible, I would cry too. And I'd probably be like, Jesus loves you and he forgives you. And again, I'm not putting that lightly because it's true that Jesus does love you and he does forgive you. I believe that with all my heart. But at the same time, when you're dealing with predators, you're dealing with a population of people who prey on emotions. They don't just prey on people, on children, or on whoever it is that they're on the hunt for. They prey on our emotions. They manipulate people, and if you're not careful, it's very easy to be manipulated by them. Even professionals, you know, not every single mental health professional or psychiatrist or psychologist is able to deal with a person who is a pedophile or who has assaulted a child. Like, it takes a person who's able to keep the facts in mind and not get super emotional and wrapped up in what this person is saying or if there are tears. Like, it takes a special kind of person. I'm not that person. 
And I'm saying that as somebody who has dedicated the last several years to speaking out about sexual abuse and the sexual abuse of children. So yes, I know it's terrible and I know that predators are dangerous, but I also know myself. And when I default to having empathy for people who have done really terrible things, I know I'm not the person that needs to be leading the church's ministry for people who have done terrible things, if you know what I'm saying. So back to this article, it was a woman who is a survivor of sexual abuse, and she started a ministry at her church, the First United Methodist Church of Pahokee, for sex offenders. Now, as survivors of sexual abuse, when we sit and lament that the church has so few programs for survivors of sexual abuse and the church does so little to support survivors of sexual abuse, this felt a little bit like a slap in the face. Uh, People who are registered sex offenders get this entire ministry at this church, and this woman, who is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, is leading it and asking that everyone forgive and not judge and accept and welcome with open arms people who have offended against minors. This woman who wrote the article was actually careful to say that they do not have a ministry for people who have been diagnosed as pedophiles. But that doesn't mean that the ministry does not include people who are pedophiles and who just have not been diagnosed. She laments the fact that people can end up on the sex offender registry for urinating in public. They can end up on the sex offender registry for all kinds of things that maybe are not necessarily terrible. But she puts in there that people can be on the sex offender registry for offenses like urinating in public, looking at child pornography, or sexually touching a minor. And the problem I have with this is she's grouping those three things together as though, like the first one she gives is like, oh my gosh, somebody who urinates in public, that sucks that they have to spend the remainder of their lives on the sex offender registry, depending on which state that they live in. And so I feel like there's a manipulation there to make us feel sorry for people who are on the sex offender registry uh, for things that really aren't offensive sexually to minors. But then she goes on to talk about someone who views child pornography. And a person who views child pornography is a person who belongs on the sex offender registry. And I'm sorry if I offend anyone. I'm probably not going to offend anybody who's listening to Survivor Sanctuary when I say that. But I believe that people who are caught viewing Child pornography belong on a sex offender registry for the remainder of their lives. That is a very difficult type of pornography to find, is a very specialized kind of pornography, and it violates small children. And people who view it are people who are interested sexually in children. And I don't believe that those people belong anywhere but on a sex offender registry. And the reason is because people who are sexually attracted to children and who are seeking out sexually stimulating material about them are a danger to children. That's a hill I will die on. I will never believe that people are nice, sweet pedophiles and they just look at child pornography so that they can get it out of their system and they can have their fantasies about little kiddos, but they're never going to be a danger to a kid. I don't believe that because first of all, child pornography is a danger to children because as long as there is a demand for it, children are in danger. So that was the first problem I had with the article, and I had quite a few problems with it. But essentially, it was just this waxing poetic about people who feel terrible for what they did and how God can change them and how this woman went from being a victim to a survivor, and so she was able to just forgive everyone. And and to me, that's kind of a little jab at people who still have a problem with sharing their church pews with sex offenders who are a danger to children. 
she shares a story in this article, and I'm linking to it again in the show notes, so you can read it if you want. And maybe I'm overreacting, but like I said, it triggered me. And she's saying, rather than allowing people who paid their debt to become productive members of society again, laws that put people on the sex offender registry, and she's talking about in Florida because that's where this church is located. That's where I'm located as well. Um, she says these laws force people into a terrible lifestyle. They can't find housing, and people are afraid of them, and it's th- they've been arrested for all kinds of minor offenses. I mean, she says physical sexual contact with a minor. That's not a minor offense. That is a really, really huge deal. But she said all of them receive the same lifelong sentence to this sex offender registry. Now, she talks about the worship leader in her church who became the worship leader despite being put on the sex offender registry. And she says that he's this great guy and that they've developed this amazing relationship. He serves with excellence and with integrity and with faithfulness and that he's completely changed. Although her only gauge for whether or not he's changed is what he's telling her. And that's another problem that I have. He's totally changed. And what did he do when he was in his 20s? And she's careful to say he's in his 20s. And I feel like that whenever she talks about a sex offender that's in her ministry, she's minimizing the crime they committed to get on the sex offender registry. This worship leader apparently was a school teacher, and as a school teacher, he had an inappropriate sexual relationship with a minor. He was a school teacher in his 20s, and he had sex with an underage child. So he has become this amazing friend with this woman in this church, and he is a part of this sex offender ministry, and he's also the church's worship leader, and he continues to serve in the church. She's careful to say in this article that after he shared his story with her, he shared the expectations of behavior at church, and then he began to serve with them as a volunteer. And this is when she said he always served with excellence and integrity, with conversation, time, faithfulness, and relationship building. This man on the sex offender registry for having sex with a minor as a school teacher grew to be a valued and trusted staff member. And she compares his painful shame and silence of having done what he did to her shame and silence of having been sexually abused. And guys, I know I'm not the only person who is triggered by that because it is not the same painful shame and silence. Pedophiles or Child sex offenders, child molesters, whatever you want to say. I know there's a difference between a child molester and a pedophile. And maybe this guy is not a pedophile, but it doesn't change the fact that as an adult, he had a sexual relationship with a minor who was in his care as a student in his classroom. That is sexual abuse. But she compares her shame of being sexually abused to his painful shame of being put on the sex offender registry for what he did. She speaks of God opening doors to conversations that brought hope, love, healing, grace, compassion, all great words, and basically said that when he was a child, he wasn't taught what to do with his sexual feelings, and the church just told him he was going to go to hell, and so he was just a hurt little boy, and then he became a hurt man, and now he loved God, and he loved the church, but he didn't have safe people to talk to, and he was confused, and he struggled alone. So when he became a teacher in his early 20s, she's very careful to say early 20s, again, minimizing what happened, he committed a crime, engaged in an inappropriate relationship with an underage high school student. That entire, like this entire sentence in the article, and you'll see it, is a minimization of what he did. She's careful to say he was in his early 20s and careful to say that the person that he had an inappropriate relationship with was a high school student. He sexually abused a minor. Like, 
that's the reality of what happened. High school student or not, he was a school teacher who sexually abused a minor. Probably the most triggering part of the entire article that she wrote. Uh, And I'll just read it to you. I minister to and with people with widely varying stories, people who love God and yet feel disqualified to serve God again. Society generally seems to agree. Jesus does not. She says she's been described as a champion for this often despised population, a voice of forgiveness in a sea of pitchforks. She says she believes that those who have served their time and changed their hearts and lives deserve a second chance because we're all created in God's image and we don't throw away God's children. Okay, so many things to unpack there. She ministers to people, which good for her. She ministers to people with different stories, people who love God, but they feel disqualified to serve God again. Um, She's saying that Jesus doesn't agree that they're disqualified to serve again. And I've got to say, if they're sexually abusing minor children, yes, they are disqualified to serve God around minor children. Jesus, I have to say, does agree. A person who is sexually abused, sexually assaulted, molested, a vulnerable person is disqualified to serve in a leadership position where they will be in leadership over vulnerable people. You can disqualify yourself from service. And I don't understand why that scripture is ignored. Yes, we're all created in God's image, but there are also lists of qualifications for people who can be elders in the church. And if somebody could never be disqualified, we wouldn't need lists of qualifications. The Bible would just say, everybody's qualified, no matter what you've done. You can be the husband of nine wives and you can still serve. You can be given to much drink and you can still serve. Like, There wouldn't be qualifications for people being elders in the church or being in leadership if no one could be disqualified. Now, we've had a disqualified from ministry conversation here on the podcast before, and that's not really the purpose of this. It's more the fact that this woman is waxing poetic about a population of people that have proven themselves to be a danger to vulnerable people. And she's advocating for these people to be thrust back into the church because they have served their time and changed their hearts. And my question is this, how do you know that someone has changed their heart? How do you know that? Anybody can tell you that they've changed. Anybody can act like they've changed in front of you. But once somebody has crossed the line to violate a little kid, something that takes a lot of deceit, it takes a lot of energy and focused effort. You don't trip over your shoelaces and molest a child. It's not how it happens. There's a lot that goes into it. And it isn't some accidental little thing. If you're talking about people ending up on the sex offender registry because, you know, they were 21 and their girlfriend was 17 and they were madly in love and and he wasn't her school teacher, okay. Like I get that there are cases where some people do not belong on the sex offender registry. But when it comes to things like child pornography, when it comes to having sex with a minor, which is sexually assaulting a minor or sexually touching a child, like those things are things that should disqualify somebody from ministry. There's that cheesy meme that goes around all the time, and it says, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I got to say, that saying does not apply better to any group than the group of people who have sexually harmed children. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. If somebody has sexually abused a small child, believe that it's something they are capable of doing. Believe that they're not to be trusted around children anymore. I know that it sounds harsh. I feel sorry for people. I I spent the beginning of this podcast saying, I feel sorry for people who have wrecked their lives to the point where it affects them. 
But guess what? Sexually abused children have their lives wrecked for them and have to live with the consequences of the choices of the people who abuse them for the remainder of their lives. And why is that okay? But it's not okay for child molesters to live with the consequences of their actions for the remainder of their lives. Why is that not okay when it's okay for us to have to? And I'm not saying this is like, I'm angry that I have to deal with this and so I want you to suffer too. It's not that at all. It's that the people who sexually abuse children are the problem in this whole scenario. And you can seek forgiveness from God. And I believe with all my heart that God is gracious and compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. I believe that. I believe that somebody who has molested a child could be truly repentant for it. I know that there are cases when that's the truth of it. I'm not saying that you can't. But to start a church ministry led by a person who was sexually abused by an adult when she was 13 years old in order to minister to people who sexually abuse children and end up on a sex offender registry and tell them, it's okay for you to continue serving in leadership in our church. It's okay for you to be our worship leader, even though you sexually abused a minor in your care is complete insanity to me. And I think it's also complete insanity that people who speak out on this, it's, it's not a witch hunt, but like this quote in here, she's a champion for this often despised population, a voice of forgiveness in a sea of pitchforks. It's like, we're just crazy people with pitchforks and we just want to ruin the lives of pedophiles. No, that's not what we want to do at all. What we want to do is keep vulnerable people safe. And when someone has shown you that they are not safe around vulnerable children, you keep them away from vulnerable children. So one church I will never be attending is First United Methodist Church of Pahokee, because this church is very concerned with giving second chances to sex offenders. So I read that article. Obviously, I got very heated up about it. I got very heated up. And listen, you know, I'm probably not the person that you need to ask about compassion for people who sexually abuse children because I am a person who was sexually abused within the church. And obviously, this article is going to trigger me. So someone who's not a victim, maybe they can read this and they can look at this soft-hearted church toward sex offenders and not be as triggered by it as I was. But um, I would encourage you to read it. There's a link and then you can let me know what you think. Well, there's a second article that I read this week and I had to laugh at first. And then as I was reading, I'm like, you know what? There is a parallel here in this story about this giant fat fish and the story I read about the church who calls themselves the church of second chances because they minister to, and I would say coddle, sex offenders. So there's apparently this famous fish. He's a grouper named Miko. He lives in an aquarium in Finland, and he made the news recently because the aquarium had a birthday party for his 16th birthday. Okay, news flash to me. I was today years old when I discovered that grouper could live for a lot of years. He's a 16-year-old grouper. He weighs 35 pounds, so he is a pudgy fish. And he lives in this aquarium in Finland. Now, he lives at this aquarium in Finland because the pet store where he lived originally could no longer afford to keep him. He outgrew all of their tanks. And also, there was one other problem. He outgrew all of their tanks and he kept eating all of his tank mates. <laughs> so like any time they would put any other creature in the tank with him, he would eat it. So they're like, this is probably not going to work for us. And he doesn't fit in any of our tanks anymore. So he went to live at the aquarium in 2007. So we've got this big 35 pound fish 
And the pet store is like, here, aquarium, have this massive grouper. He enjoys swimming, collecting seashells, and oh, by the way, eating all of his tank mates. Well, I don't know if they didn't disclose that information to the aquarium, but the aquarium decided that they were going to put fish into Miko's cage with him. And he lived with various friends until same thing happened. Miko started eating all of his fishy friends. One by one, his tank mates went down. So then they put in a venomous lionfish thinking, well, he's not going to eat something venomous. Oh no, he ate the lionfish too. So finally the aquarium's like, all right, We get it. The pet store was correct. This giant grouper cannot be trusted with other fish because he eats them all. Even though he's fed this diet of squid and little fish like herring, mackerel, or whiting, he had a huge appetite for anything that happened to be sharing his tank, including the venomous lionfish. So instead of letting other fish die and be sacrificed at the altar of this grouper's comfort... They stopped putting other fish in the tank with him. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because anything you put in the tank with Miko is going to become Miko's next meal. And so they stopped doing it. Problem is, he actually gets depressed when he's alone. It's a true story. Fish can get depressed. And it's actually scientific. This article kind of talks about the science behind depression and that some fish actually do exhibit signs of depression and they become withdrawn, they lose interest in stimuli, and certain things will cheer them up. Like scientists apparently study these kinds of things. Well, Miko's behavior had changed not only because they removed the fish, he was depressed enough about that, but when the COVID-19 lockdown happened and people stopped visiting the aquarium, he didn't have people walking around his little aquarium all the time. He got even more depressed. So they tried a couple of different things. They tried brushing him. I didn't know that fish liked to be brushed, but I guess they brushed him until he ate the brush. It got lodged in his throat and they had to actually have surgery to get it out. So Apparently, Miko will eat anything, but he was depressed, so they did a few different things. They had the staff of the aquarium have their lunch in front of his little aquarium. I'm saying at the aquarium because that's the building, but then he is in an aquarium as well. They would have lunch right beside him and kind of keep him company. They also got him his own TV. They turned the TV on thinking that that would keep him company, things to just kind of boost his spirits. And then they decided to throw him a 16th birthday party. They actually did a birthday party for a fish and they gave him a cake made out of salmon. And a lot of people online got a kick out of the fact that, you know, he's a fish having a birthday party. One thing they didn't do though, was look at how depressed Miko was and say to themselves, my gosh, he's really depressed without having, you know, some aquarium mates. He needs friends and he's depressed without them. And we need to put some fish back in there to cheer this guy up. They didn't do that because he's shown himself to be a predator. Every time they put another fish in this aquarium, Miko eats it. So it would be stupid to trust him with fish. Do they need to gut Miko and batter dip him and then serve him up with ketchup and vinegar and french fries? Okay, no. But what they should not do is put other fish in his tank. And I thought, you know what? It's so interesting to me. It's so interesting how people who work with fish even understand this concept. Oh, we've got a fish who has proven that he's a predator. Like he has actually assaulted other fish. He's eaten the fish we've put in the tank with him. That's his history. And so we know, well, okay, you're here. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to condemn you to hell, Miko. But what we're also not going to do is let you have other little fishies in your tank because we know that there is a good chance 
you're going to eat them. And that wouldn't be fair to the little fishies. It would be very dangerous for them. Why is it that people who work with fish understand this and people in the church don't? And guys, again, I'm not saying because I feel like when I read her article, I thought, you know what, if somebody ended up on the sex offender registry for some of the reasons that she mentioned, like, oh, urinating in public, like that sucks, man. And yes, if there needs to be some reform where the sex offender registry is concerned, like I can get on board with realistic changes. I'm not here to say that every single person who ends up on the sex offender registry is a horrible person who can't be trusted. Like that's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying this, like, why is this church... Instead of putting very solid rules and regulations in place, like, dude, you sexually assaulted a child in your care. It doesn't matter if there wasn't a huge age gap. You were his teacher. Therefore, you are not qualified to be a leader in ministry in our church. And, you know, this woman says in this article that, oh, he just has this amazing voice and he just feels like that God created him to be a worship leader. Well, then go be a worship leader for other adults. Be a worship leader for people in your sex offender ministry. But what you shouldn't be doing is being in a leadership role in a church where there are vulnerable people in your care. I said it before, but I'll say it again. It's a hill I will die on. If somebody has sexually abused a child, they have disqualified themselves from ministry and they should not be trusted to volunteer And serve in a church where they are sharing space with children. It is not about wielding pitchforks and wanting to ruin people's lives. It is about wanting to preserve the innocence of small children. It's about wanting those kids to have the freedom for the rest of their lives of never having been sexually abused. I don't have all the answers when it comes to people's brokenness over sin and their desire to serve in ministry and What exactly disqualifies someone? I don't have every answer for that. And I know that it's not this completely easy issue to deal with. So I'm not trying to oversimplify it. But it's just like when I watch, you know, a TV show and and some stupid kid who's listened to some other stupid kid and has gotten himself into trouble decides he's going to murder somebody. You know what? That split second decision that that person made has ruined so many lives And all of those lives are never going to be the same because of what this person did. So even if they serve their time, even if they get out, it is not ever going to change the fact that they did that. And it is going to alter their lives forever. But the difference between an offender having their lives altered forever and a sexual abuse victim having their lives altered forever is that the offender is the one that makes the decision to do it. Can God forgive you if you're a sex offender? Yes, can, can he wash you clean and, and erase your guilt and your shame? Yes. But that doesn't mean that all of the consequences for what you did are erased. And we jumble up those two things that, oh, we're going to punish you for the rest of your life because you made a mistake and God can't forgive you. That's not what it is. It's that if the mistake you made was to sexually violate a child and alter their life forever, we know now that there are certain positions within the church where you are not to be trusted, even if you're the most genuinely nice person. And I love in this article how she's like, oh, he's completely faithful and he's changed his heart. That's all well and good. But there are some consequences that are lifelong. Unfortunately for Miko, the oversized grouper, the consequence for him is that unless the fish are already dead and they're his food, he does not get to have little friends in his aquarium. Sorry, Miko, you eat all of your friends and that's not nice. And we have to protect those fish. So it would be stupid to put them in an aquarium with you. 
We get it that you're depressed because fish apparently can experience depression. We get it that things are rough for you. But this is something that we have to do to protect the other fishies because you showed us who you are and we believe you. You eat your friends. People who feed fish for a living have figured this out, but the church has yet to figure it out. Instead of saying, hey, dude, Jesus loves you and man, he can forgive you for anything. And and we're not condemning you, but we are saying this because of your history with minors, we're not going to let you be in leadership in our church. We have this awesome Bible study with all adults that you're welcome to attend. If you want to lead worship for these, we have this area of ministry where you would never have access to vulnerable children where you may serve. I mean, there are different ways that different churches do it. And we're glad to hear you say that your heart has changed and that you're repentant. That's awesome, man. Unfortunately, there are consequences to the actions that you chose. And this is one of them. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That's not what it means. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean you can't be forgiven. But our number one priority is protecting the vulnerable that are in our care that God has entrusted to us. And while we hope that every single thing you're telling us is true, that you're sorry, that you didn't mean it, that you're a changed man. While we hope that's true, we're unwilling to risk the innocence of children so that we can take your word for that and so that you won't feel bad. It's something I'll probably never get over, um, how people's hearts bleed for offenders. People's hearts bleed for predators. And they're not bleeding the same way for the people who were affected by them. And I say this as a person who I came forward about being sexually abused and this church confronted the man who abused me, found out that he had abused multiple people and still allow him to be around children whenever he wants. There's nothing in place. There, there's no plan in place to protect vulnerable children. He's like this big grouper who's eaten his friends repeatedly, and they're just like, hey, let's keep putting fish in the tank because maybe he's changed because Jesus loves everybody. Let's keep putting fish in the tank because redemption. Why do we consider the consequences for predators so much more than we consider the consequences for their victims? We have people who are living their entire lives in brokenness. And even people, when they're finding healing, are still dealing with issues. And I don't say this from a place of brokenness. That's not what I'm saying that, oh, I'm so broken and I'm upset and I'm angry. I'm talking about people that I see, people who talk to me, people who can't get out of bed in the morning or who can't get through the day without a prescription drug or a bottle of alcohol. Why are these consequences okay? The consequences for the sexually abused, why are those all okay for us to have to deal with for the remainder of our lives? But it's somehow pitchfork wielding and witch hunting to require that a person who has sexually assaulted or sexually touched a child to not be in leadership in your church and to not have access to children. Why? Like it just, it baffles me. Anyway, I'm going to link to both of these articles in the show notes so you can read and really some interesting info on depression in fish. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, I didn't know that fish could get depressed. I also didn't know they could live to be 16 years old. Um, I'm really hungry for some fish and chips now though. One of my favorite things in the whole world to eat and all the talking about this giant grouper Miko has made me want to do 
have some fish and chips. Went to Scotland in February, right before the pandemic hit. Um, we were fingers crossed that we weren't going to get uh, sick while we were gone. And we didn't. But we went to this fish and chips restaurant that was, oh, it was absolutely amazing. So if that aquarium needs any tips on what to do with that grouper, like grouper is delicious. <laughs> Not going to lie. He keeps eating everybody and he's depressed. Maybe end that depression and invite me over for a fish fry. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Yes, a little bit weird and a little bit different, but you know what? We got to throw one of those in there every now and again. Have a great one. I'll catch you back here next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.